The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So I think Bill, like, tries to approach his career the same way he tries to approach his life. That, you know, he wants it to be kind of random and kind of delightful. That, uh, you know, sort of, he never buys round-trip tickets uh, on planes. He just sort of goes somewhere, and when he's ready to leave, he'll buy another ticket, and he'll go then. And, like, so, like, he agrees to show up in movies because he thinks, like, he'll have a good time doing it. And so you can see, like, the joy that he gets out of being in something like Coffee and Cigarettes or um, uh, Zombieland is the joy that he gets, you know, sort of like the, you know, sort of like starting a snowball fight uh, that, you know, like, and so, you know, even if you never meet Bill Murray yourself, you know, like, and, you know, you could just go down to Charleston and like go to River Dogs games. Eventually you'll see them. It's not impossible to do, but if it never happens, you can actually get the same like joy and spirit out of watching like the, these movies. All right, hey everyone, it's Matt Olin. And I am uh, the very sweaty Tim Miner. Right yes, now. yes, uh, it is a little hot. We'll tell you that about that in a second. But uh, welcome to another episode of the Biscuit Podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, you may hear some construction in the background. That's a rare sound in Charlotte, yes? I I've, I've never hear uh, any kind of construction going on in Charlotte myself. So we are sitting here recording this uh, on Montford Drive. We just ate a sumptuous feast. A sumptuous feast at Rocco Roasting Company. And now we're sitting on a bench in front of Jeff's bucket shop <laughs> uh, in the direct sunlight. Uh, there was no Luke Keekley sighting today. I feel kind of let down. So we <laughs> so we are roast now we are now we are roasting. Yeah, but speaking of roasting, good night. And I gotta tell you, you know, growing up in Charlotte, I'm looking I'm just like looking left and right on Monfort Drive and pretty much everything I look at I have a memory about this oh, th place. This was like such a we went to to the old Charlotte Catholic High School. Uh, down Park Road. That's and right. This was this was kind of, I don't know, ground zero for mischief on a Friday night. That's exactly right. I'm looking at, you know, Ten Park Lanes. Right. That was. Do you remember the time we were there in high school and and you I came up to me? <laughs> I tricked you into eating somebody else's cast Tim, off fries. Tim found a, a plate of fries <laughs> that were essentially untouched. With they ketchup. Weren't, they weren't and they were cold as ice. And he walked up and he said, "Matt, look what I got for you." <laughs> <laughs> I said, fries, fries. Picked up a fry, dipped it oh, heartily into you, the ketchup. You had quite the dollop of ketchup. And then <laughs> popped it in my mouth and started a dry heave. And you remember 30 years later, so clearly it made an impression. Thank you. Thank you very Beyond much. Beyond that, that, I mean, there was, I actually ate here there the other night, but uh, Luisa's oh, yeah. Brick Oven Pizzeria, that was uh, when I could convince someone to go on a date with me. That was that your place? Really? Yeah, that might explain why they were rarely second dates. But I, like I went the there a lot with my family. Still do a lot with my family. Uh, they got the counter there. How many? How many? How many pizzas have they made? It's, it's like a million. It's over. It's like one point two million pizzas or something. Of course, good food uh, on Montford Drive, right down the street. That's where the the, our, the creative mornings madness sort of began because that was our first sort of brainstorm meeting. That's around when you that. got the we we got the chapter of creative mornings dot dot dot. What the hell do we do with it? That was where we went to kind of figure out what the hell to do with it. Yeah. So anyway, there's lots of memories here on Monford Drive, so let's make some new memories, shall we? Yeah, well, the memory I have right now I think I'm going to keep with me is how incredibly hot I am at the moment in the <laughs> sun, and it's making me think about, uh, I can look off in the distance and see um, uh, novel properties uh, that Crescent Communities is building. Yeah, Monford Park. Thinking about how hot, I get, <laughs> how hot I get mowing the lawn and thinking how lovely it would be to never have a lawn to mow That's ever right. Again. If you lived in a novel property, you would not have to mow your lawn. Nope. Rake your leaves. Nope. Clean your gutters. Nothing. There would be no concerns. No concerns. Life is easy. And yet, <laughs> I'll be mowing the lawn again, <laughs> again this weekend. But, I mean, I can't. I can dream. A boy can dream. Can't well, he? We, I, he can. And, and uh, we are grateful to Crescent Communities for their uh, sponsorship of Charlotte's Creative and this podcast. And, of course... They are the people behind Novel Montford and all the novel properties, and it's uh, it is a gorgeous building down. Yeah, the and in between where we're you know here at live from Jeff's Bucket Shop, and and Novel is Ortho Carolina, yep. one of our other sponsors. There's their building and right there. Uh, we also have to thank Four Eyes Productions and Michael for his his ceasing, uh, his well, never ceasing support. Absolutely. Of all things biscuit. So as I recall, uh, last week we had our first ever sort of Queen City quiz show. 
segment on the podcast. It was the second Oops. ever. But hey, who's <laughs> counting? <laughs> Clearly I'm not. I am. That's <laughs> Tim one, Matt zero. Um, so yeah, we asked a Queen City Quiz Show question last week, at which point we said that uh, the prize was coffee with you and me at uh, Not Just Coffee J Street. And we agreed the, the prize was actually coffee. Coffee. And the and with us part was... It was at the discretion. Dealer's choice. Yes. Dealer's choice. Exactly. Um, And uh, I'm not going to say the last name, but Anna won. Um, She has not yet weighed in on whether or not we're having coffee with her, but she is going to be having coffee at night. Congratulations, Anna. I hope to meet you someday. She knew the answer to the question. The question was last, or or, uh, actually two weeks ago, a piece of property in Plaza Midwood went up for sale, and it was. Uh, the area, or, or purported to be, where Billy Graham once upon a time had his conversion moment. That's so, right. So we asked, who was the evangelist? The answer was Billy Graham at Central Square, or the site of Central Square. That's apparently where he found his calling and he found uh, his religion. It was probably a field or a farm or something at the time. It certainly wasn't a parking lot. That it said wasn't Bishop Lebon. No public parking. And it wasn't no pu- no public parking. <laughs> That's exactly right. He would not have been welcome there. All now. right. Well, congratulations, Anna. So now, okay. Proud of you. We ha- Anna, I'm looking forward to having coffee with you or not having coffee with you, and no hard feelings if you choose not to have any coffee. Case, in any case, coffee's on us. <laughs> now, this week, Matt, are you ready? Oh, I am ready. We're going to keep the same price. So it is coffee at not just Coffee J Street with, with the or option. without <laughs> us having coffee with you. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and the question is this, very simply, who was Charlatan? Charles Duke. Who was Charles Duke? Who was Charles Duke? The mayonnaise guy? Sure, if that's your answer. If that's your answer, the mayonnaise guy, Matt, you can <laughs> submit it at hello at charlotteiscreative.com. Hello at charlotteiscreative.com. You need to do that by October the 2nd Kay. if you want a shot at having coffee again with or without you and I present. If Anna wins again, could she consolidate her gift and make it a double and just one? I think if she wins, Anna, if you win two weeks in a row, the avocado toast is on us. <laughs> so, all right. If you have an answer to who is Charles Duke, let us know. And one last thing that we're going to ask before we, we tee up our incredible interview today is please head to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a five-star review uh, it really helps us, and our level for five star is you listen to forty five seconds or less without your ears bleeding. That's right. That's a five star performance in my book. There, it, mine too, Tim. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. All right. All right. So we are uh, excited to present uh, this interview with Charlatan Gavin Edwards. Gavin is an amazing guy. He's an incredibly gifted writer, and he's written tons and tons of books. But one of his more recent books is one on. Bill Murray. Everyone loves Bill Murray, and you're going to love him even more after you read his book. If you don't love Bill Murray, I don't want to know you. That's right. So uh, he was gracious enough to invite me over to his house to watch some of his favorite Bill Murray scenes. And so wow. we did that. And uh, There was drinking involved. Andy too, Go there? recorded it. Yes, and drinking was involved. So the way this starts is uh, we're going to jump in to our Bill Murray segment with Gavin Edwards, uh, making me a very special drink. Uh, in honor of Bill Murray. And we'll just uh, leave it at that. And you guys are talking through the the, the work he did on the Dow. Yep, the Dow um, of Bill Murray. Bill That's Murray. right. This beautiful book. book that he read. And we'll link to that in the biscuit. Awesome. Yep. So uh, enjoy the interview. All right. So I was trying to think of a good Bill Murray drink. And yeah. uh, there's times where he just sort of shows up like... There's a woman who he took to the World Series because she was like standing around needing a ticket and he had one and she said, I'll drink whatever you're drinking. And so that night it was all vodka and sodas. But a friend of mine, Joe Levy, magazine editor, uh, was uh, like met Bill Murray in a bar. They had like a mutual friend and they were just talking as you do. And uh, uh, Joe ordered his regular drink, which is a margarita, and Bill gave him this piece of advice. He said that, you know, usually you go to, like, your typical bar. They might have, like, margarita mix, but they don't have fresh ingredients. They don't, uh, you know, it's not like they're squeezing the limes right there. Right. And he said, like, so if you want, like, a better quality margarita, 
ask for a splash of orange juice in it. Splash of OJ. So yeah. this is this is the secret ingredient that Bill Murray is suggesting right. for us. So here we are. We've got like your standard master of mixes, margarita mixer. Uh, and you've brought some very fine uh, Jose Cuervo tequila reposado mm-hmm. tradicional. Yep. Um, and we're uh, going to make some margaritas and we'll have a little bit before and then we'll add a little OJ and see what we think. With the, the Bill Murray effect, see if the OJ changes anything right. for us. Okay, yeah. cool. Let's okay. dial it up. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> Bill Murray would eyeball it, I think. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, what we're doing. Yeah, all right. We're going to eyeball it. So I'm just going to pour it to the top of the ice here, like so. Looks about right. That looks about right to me. All right, so this is your quick and dirty. You're at the bar. They've offered you the margarita. Yep. Or you've ordered the margarita and they're complying. Yep. Got that lime green. Yep. Yep. Go ahead and stir. Ooh. All right, shall we? Cheers. Cheers to Bill. Bill. Here we go. That's what I would come to expect. Yeah. So like sort of standard margarita in the bar. Right. Down and dirty. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, but also nothing super distinguished, although the tequila is nice. All right. And here we have uh, Tropicana, uh, no pulp, calcium and vitamin D, because when you're drinking margaritas, you want some <laughs> calcium and some vitamins. <laughs> Stir it up again. Here we go. All right. Calcium. To calcium. It's better. It is mm-hmm. definitely better. Yeah. It tastes more tropical. Yep. To me. Um, sounds like a solid tip from Yeah. Yeah, it is not, uh, you know, sort of the same as like a fresh squeeze. You know, like you can still tell like it's a bar margarita, yeah. but um, it is definitely improved. It, it ticks it up a level. It's yeah. it's up it's up a notch at least. <laughs> yeah. So this is the Bill Murray thing of like he crashes into your life and he does something that brings you a little joy. Uh, like Perfect the cla- example. the classic story, which uh, I almost called the book, uh, titled the book, um, is uh, somebody's like on a street corner in like New York City or wherever. And someone like puts their hands over their eyes from behind and they like, what's going on? And they turn around and there's Bill Murray. <laughs> and he looks at them and says, no one will ever believe you. And then he walks away. <laughs> so the, for my working title for the book for a long time was no one will ever believe you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's dial up some scenes. All right. Let's rock. Hello, Biscuit listeners. Special treat for us today. We're sitting here with Gavin Edwards, the author of The Tao of Bill Murray. How you doing, Gavin? I'm awesome. How are you, Matt? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm super excited about this because we're sitting in your living room. Yes. We have Netflix and YouTube and your TV dialed up, ready to go. We have down and dirty margaritas in hand. Yes, with splashes of orange juice. With splashes of orange juice, and we're going to talk about that in a little while, too. And we are going to treat ourselves to essentially a run of of some of your favorite Bill Murray scenes. Yes, mm-hmm. um, because you've you know you've written the book on Bill Murray. Literally, this right. is the book on Bill Murray, the Tao of Bill Murray. Tell us a little bit before we dive into the scenes, which yep. I'm super excited about. Tell us a little bit about the process of writing this book. Sure. How did it come to fruition and what was the experience for you of, of, of writing this book? So the book came about because I got fascinated uh, with, um, and I did a magazine article first, but like the thing that like motivated both uh, was you hear these stories about Bill Murray um, uh, that, you know, he's sort of like, he crashes your party he washes the dishes. He leaves. <laughs> he steals a golf cart and drives uh, through Stockholm at 3 a.m. Uh, yeah, he uh, will uh, show up at uh, sort of like uh, baseball games and steal people's fries. And, uh, you know, just like it seemed like there's all these stories like about yeah. people saying Bill Murray like came to my bachelor party and like I didn't know him, but he gave the perfect toast. Yeah. And I said, well. 
what motivates him to do this? Sure. Uh, and uh, so I interviewed him. Uh, but then even more than that, I interviewed all these people that he talked to and yeah. uh, uh, or that he interacted with and like got them to like in some cases they've been saving up the story for years. Like, thank God somebody's <laughs> finally asked. Let me tell you about the time I was playing piano in a hotel and Bill Murray came and sat down with me for three hours and I played every single song I could think of that and he sang along. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, yeah. How did you find those people with those gems of stories how um, did you track them down so in some cases it was you know sort of like friends of friends like hey you know sort of i know you know somebody who has a bill murray story who is it put them in uh, touch yep. with me um i did some that was uh, just sort of like old-fashioned like shoe leather reporting the uh, bill used to live in the hudson valley just up uh, state uh, mm -hmm. from new york city and i like went to the town where he used to live and i just walked around and I would like anyone I saw, I'd say, hey, do you have a Bill Murray story? <laughs> and nine out of 10 people say, no, I know yeah. he used to live here. Or maybe I went to his Halloween party once, but nothing exciting. But then every now and then you get somebody said, yes, you know, sort of he umpired my son's little league game. And then, you know, sort of like uh, my son got concussed when, uh, you know, like a ball hit him in the uh, catcher's mask. And he comes to and Bill's standing over him saying, you better stay down for a while, kid. <laughs> Or I found a guy who like ran like the local wine shop who had like all these stories about like Bill shows up in a rainstorm having uh, like just bought Evil Knievel's helmet and he's wearing it. Right. Or Bill starts a snowball fight with people like in the street outside and yeah. he gets everyone he's to join in. Yes, he is. Yeah. And so what I said at a certain point was this isn't just like Bill being randomly wacky. I said like he's secretly teaching us how to live. I love that approach to it. Yeah. yeah. Hence yeah. the Tao of Bill Murray. Right. And so it turned out to be the best possible way to write a biography of Bill Murray because, you know, you can break down, you know, like he filmed this movie in 1982 and then he did this and then sure. he moved Filmography. Here. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And there is like a biography and a filmography in the book, but the meat of it is the fact uh, saying, how does what he believes manifest itself in the world how does he behave in like a way that we can like adopt and follow and learn from yeah and it sounds like and I, i'm so excited to read the book but what i'm already picking up is that it's probably about living in the moment mm -hmm. being a little naughty being a little mischievous having fun and surprising and delighting people and strangers yes. in your life i mean one of the things i say like sort of you know one of the 10 precepts is like well, two of them. One of them is invite yourself to the party. Mm -hmm. But then another one is make sure everyone else is invited to the party. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Love it. So um, can't wait to read the book. Can't wait for the final draft appearance. Yeah. Um, and cannot wait to see some of these scenes that you've picked out. For so us. segueing into the scenes. Yes. Um, so uh, the third section of uh, the book is uh, the films of Bill. Yep. And he's made 50 something movies. So there was like. About six months of my life, you were asking about the process of yep. it. You know, sort of like I would be uh, like tracking people down during the day, phoning them up, getting their stories. And then like at night, just for a while, like most of the movies I watched were Bill Murray. You were binging. Movies. You yeah. were binging yeah, on I, Bill. I was working my way through it. And, you know, sort of some of them are all time stone cold classics. Yep. Some of them, mostly the ones he did as favors for friends or trash. <laughs> right. And then, you know, some are interesting, like, misfires because he doesn't have an agent. He doesn't have a manager. He doesn't yep. have a publicist. Yep. So if you want Bill to be in your movie, you either, like, you know, you're his friend or you call this 1-800 number. I've heard about the 1-800, the fabled 1-800 yeah, number. And it's really true. Maybe he picks it up. Maybe he calls back. And maybe he ends up in a random movie. And so, like, his... Film career is weird, yeah. but there's uh, like there's glorious stuff in it. And we'll go through some of it. So we asked you to choose, uh, you know, just a, a collection of of scenes. Maybe these are some of your favorite scenes. Maybe these are scenes that you just think shine a specific light yep. on Bill and who he is. Um, so I'm psyched, and yep. we're sort of in your hands now. So what, what's the first scene that All we right. want to? So watch let's start off with Caddyshack. Not Great. not literally the first uh, movie he made. Like the star making movie for him was Meatballs, but yep. like but very soon after, um, and it's uh, Ivan Reitman yep. uh, directing and uh, bringing together like the very different comic sensibilities of you know sort of like Rodney Dangerfield and you know like a Ted Knight and Chevy Chase and Bill and like somehow it all works as a movie. Um, and uh, this is uh, the famous scene where Bill is uh, 
um, uh, whacking the heads off flowers uh, and uh, narrating. Yes. And uh, the, the setup, he's the groundskeeper, and he is pretending that he's uh, playing the masters, and it was improvised on the spot. Uh, that like Ivan Reitman just said, when you were a kid, did you ever sort of like play sports and narrate yourself as the sportscaster? Can you do that? And Bill's like, yeah, got it. Well, I have not seen this scene in years, so let's see it. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. At Augusta, he's on his final hole. He's about 455 yards away. He's going to hit about two iron, I think. (laughs) (laughs) We got all of that. The crowd is standing on its feet here at Augusta. The normally reserved Augusta crowd going wild. For this young Cinderella, who's come out of nowhere, he's got about 350 yards left. He's gonna hit about a 500 expect, don't you think? <laughs> he's got a beautiful best one. Dad, oh, he's got all of that one. He's gotta be pleased with that. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left, and he's got a, looks like he's got about an eight. This crowd has gone deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. A former greenskeeper now about to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a rat. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Hey, I, I was hoping to squeeze in, not in the hole. He must have said Cinderella like five times. In that yeah. Scene. And actually, when he wrote a book uh, about his like life as a golfer, he called it Cinderella Story. Oh, he did? Yeah. So that was an entirely improvised scene. That was an entirely improvised scene. Um, I can also tell you that um, that voice, um, uh, yes. like a uh, little talking which, out the side of his mouth, uh, sort right? Of thing. Um, he had been using that for years. It was uh, he on called SNL, that SNL, right? Um, before SNL, oh, right. it was on SNL, but it was also like back to like when he was at Second City in Chicago. Yeah. Um, that voice was called the Hunker, uh, and <laughs> there's like a story about uh, you know he's walking down the street in New York City and like he'll just like use the Hunker voice, and be like, "Hey, there's a lobster on the loose. Watch out, everybody! You got to get some." butter it's the only way to stop them (laughs) (laughs) wow so was this um this is my ignorance on his uh timeline but was he still on snl when caddyshack came out or do do you know he was okay yeah Uh, so it was um i think he had been on two years at this point because after his first summer his after his first year he made meatballs during the summer yeah um and he uh uh, you know, sort of like kept saying, I just wanted to like hang out and play baseball. <laughs> but like, yeah. if it, he made a movie, it made him a star. Okay. And then about a year later, this came out. Well, what, to me, what's so interesting about watching his career mm-hmm. uh, evolve yes. is that when you see him in a, in a, in a movie like this and the characters and choices he made, um, it's, it's a uh, less, I don't know if it's like a less refined uh, type of comedy, but it's, it's definitely an earlier version of, of Bill Murray's comedy that then became, I think, more, um, I don't know, like meta or right. intelligent or something. I don't know. Can you speak to well, I mean, the early stuff? It come, at the beginning, it's almost this just kind of like ball of fire energy yeah. that, you know, sort of like you can see he's like bursting with ideas. Like uh, sometimes he's literally just kind of like shouting because he's excited. And then... Not that much uh, after uh, this, you know, sort of like Ghostbusters is only a few years away from this. And, you know, like he develops uh, this, you know, and like stripes is in between uh, that, you know, there's this kind of smart ass persona of I'm in the movie, but I'm vaguely contemptuous of the idea that I'm in a movie. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) And, you know, sort of like, you know, and I have. Uh, you know, sort of, I don't respect authority, be it, you know, sort of like the U.S. Army or like the the summer camp or what have you. And I also don't respect the people making the movie. And I like you and me are in this together, like viewers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there is that sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge going on there. Um, All right, well, What's the next scene that you you want to oh, share right. with us here? So, sorry, uh, so skipping ahead a couple of years, uh, um, just before he made uh, Ghostbusters, um, 
and actually like around the same, uh, it was part of the same deal um, that um, he was trying to make a movie called The Razor's Edge, mm-hmm. uh, which was based on a, um, a Somerset Mom uh, novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's his first real dramatic role. Um, and it uh, plays a guy who's sort of like is wandering around the world, basically drifting, trying to find himself um and uh, but in a early 20th century way, and it felt like sort of he felt like it applied to sort of like a lot of people feeling like rootless in you know, yeah. sort of the 1970s. Um, and uh, this is a scene where he's uh, like actually become a soldier, I think, in the Spanish Civil War. Um, and a friend of his has died um, and he's delivering a eulogy uh, for him. Um, but it actually also served as a eulogy uh, for John Belushi, who had recently died. Um, so it's like allegedly about the soldier, but where it came from, uh, like emotionally, and who he's actually talking about his job with. He was a slob. Did you ever see him eat? Starving children could fill up their bellies on the food that ended up on his beard and clothes. Dogs would gather to watch him eat. I never understood gluttony, but I hate it. But I hated that about you. He enjoyed disgusting people. Being disgusting, the thrill of offending people and making them uncomfortable. He was despicable. He will not be missed. Wow, I gotta say, I had no idea that he even ventured into anything dramatic. Yep. Uh, that early in his career, yeah. What what year roughly was nineteen eighty four? That was eighty four. Okay. So um, the the bat he wanted to do this, yeah. Um, and uh, he was having trouble setting it up. And Dan Aykroyd invited him to like uh, you know want him to be in the Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters. Every studio was bidding for the Ghostbusters. He said, "What uh, what studio are you trying to do the Razor's Edge at?" And he said, "Columbia." And he said, "All right." Tell them that if, like, they do your Razor's Edge movie, they've got the GBs. Wow. <laughs> and uh, he said, like, and then, you know, like, the day later, like, it closed. So he went off, went around the world making this movie. Yeah. Um, and he uh, was up, you know, sort of two days before he first shows up on the Ghostbusters set and, like, gets slimed for the first time. He's in, like, the Himalayas, like, having, you know, sort of, like, a semi-religious experience as part of, like, making this movie because he ends up, you know, at this sort of, like, monk's retreat. And, you know, the character does, but also Bill has this intense personal experience. Um, So some of this comes through and, like, works on screen. And other parts that you can see he's... He doesn't have all the tools yet. Like yeah, the movie's gonna... interesting, but yeah. it doesn't quite work. But like, I love that scene because it's actually like coming from a very real place. Yeah, so, yeah. No, when yeah. you when when it's framed uh, around the the passing of John Belushi, mm-hmm. that definitely sheds a whole new light on you know maybe where he's you know deriving uh, his motivation from there. But I was going to ask you like, is it a good movie? I know this is subjective question but do you think is that a is it a is it a good movie with a a lead actor who is still looking for his way in in the in the in in terms of uh, drama i wouldn't say it's a good movie but it's an interesting movie that has some good moments Uh, um and you know like uh, saw the whole you know he's made some (laughs) he's made some really actively bad movies but uh, this one i enjoyed watching even though i could see it was not quite coming together like the way that he wanted it to and it's also fascinating just because you know he's reaching for something like he's reaching for something that he later grabs onto yes uh that you know sort of like we'll get to like movies later on that he does with like sort of like wes anderson and you know sort of but like when he starts working with say sofia coppola that you know like he's doing you know he finds himself as a dramatic actor so it was something that he was striving for it just took him a while to figure out how to do it we always you know you see these um comedic actors or actors that begin as comedians 
who then find their way into drama. I mean, Robin Williams, of course, being a perfect mm-hmm. example. Um, sort of, you know, crazy comedic actor early on and, and then finds his way into incredible, you know, goodwill hunting and awakenings right. and these incredible... And there's always that that idea of that razor's edge between <laughs> being able to do comedy. And if you can do comedy well, then you can do drama. Right, too. yeah. And the, there's always this thing of sometimes they really nail it or they figure out how to nail it. But you often see the over-mannered, self-conscious, you know, sort of like, and now I am doing drama. Right, uh, that, right. Uh, I think it takes uh, comedic actors a little while to figure out uh, like exactly how to do that. Well, I'm really glad you picked this one because I, lit- again, had no idea that, that he had ever tried his his hand at drama that early in his career. Yeah. So, I um, mean, yeah. early on, it, he was very uh, committed to, you know, sort of like the arc of career stardom was there for him and he didn't want to like do the obvious thing. Like right after Ghostbusters, he could have made any movie in the world he wanted. What he did was he moved to France. Uh, and so uh, he just sort of like, I know I could be like a megastar and I could follow up with like all kinds of things I need to check out so I don't like lose my sense of self and like wow. who I am as an artist. All right, Gavin, what is next on the uh, docket? Next? Ahaha. Uh, we're going to do uh, his uh, scene in uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, oh, Have yes. you ever seen this? Uh, it has been many, many years. Mm-hmm. But yes, I have seen this. Um, and so this will be a, a major flashback. Right. So, uh, um, you know, he has a one scene cameo in this movie. This is his only scene in the movie. Um, and uh, he is a um, uh, Steve Martin is uh, a sadistic dentist who is uh, <laughs> the abusive boyfriend of Audrey, the uh, female lead. Yep. Um, and uh, Bill uh, comes in and uh, he is a masochistic patient who has found exactly the right dentist for him. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a terrible dentist on Wednesday who was recommended to me by somebody that I saw on Monday, who was the brother of a man that I usually see on Sundays. And their mother actually taught them everything that they know. She's incredibly gifted and quite utterly, and a lot of people think she shouldn't be working, but I go to her because she's incredibly devoted to her strength. Napkin. <laughs> but she knows, she knows the sound of your voice, and if you tell her where it is, the problem, she eventually works her way back and she finds the trouble and she does it. I wish I had that family. Because I can only go he's so prepping long. himself. Yeah, he's putting the cotton in his own mouth. Yeah. And Steve Martin's working like an Elvis thing here. He's totally working I the Elvis the first person. time I went to the dentist, I thought, gosh, what a neat job. If only I were a dentist. The dentist I went to had the greatest car. He had a Corvette. Yeah, those are like David Cronenberg surgical oh, instruments. Oh, yes. Look at that. Clockwork. Oh, I got out of here. Then, you know, I think it's Finished bringing the candy bar. I thought, this is what I get a candy bar. This is what you do. You go through a little thing and you get knocked out of it. We're getting towards incredible professionals. He's incredibly, incredibly wonderful equipment. Let's take a look at that mouth. Say, ah. Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis is playing the lead. He's coming to the waiting room and he's hearing all this. He's got a gun. I remember this one. Yeah. Great. Oh, you are something special. You are something special. Come on. Come on. So tell us why that made uh, your list. Sure. So it is one of the early examples of Bill's approach to uh, movie making, which is he doesn't read the script. Mm. He shows up. uh, like So it's hard to get him to be in your movie. And then if uh, he agrees to be in the movie, there's an excellent chance that, you know, sort of like he doesn't exactly know what's going on. He's going to show up, look at the scene on the day, and then say, okay, I see what you're aiming for here. And then throw it out and just say whatever he feels like. Got so it. that scene, which I think is, you know, like a good, solid, funny scene of like, you know, sort of him and Steve Martin, like, uh, but it's the result of like 
30 different takes of just like improving, improving, yeah. improving, and you know, sort of, and then the editor has to like sort of figure out, like, okay, how do I take the greatest moments and make it work? Right. But, and, and so the two of them, uh, yes. Bill and Steve, had some history right. uh, being on SNL together. So they had some sort of chemistry. Right, exactly. Which is why to... Bill's like, I think, agreeing to show up. That yeah. like he knows Steve, like he knows they can back and forth it and like uh, they'll have a good time doing it. Wow. That is so funny. Again, such a flashback. I have not seen Little Shop before in so long. Yeah. So um, thank you for picking that one. It's amazing how many movies like that are in Bill's catalog. Like, oh, right. He was in that. That's right. Yeah. The one that uh, you know we're not doing, but uh, in some ways I think might be his funniest movie, and everyone always forgets that he's even in it, is Tootsie. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says that line where he's just like, I don't want, you know, I want people to come in out of the rain and say, <laughs> you know. I saw your play. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's got yeah. that supporting. Yeah, uh, he's, 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 he's Dustin Hoffman's roommate. roommate. Um, and, you know, sort of like he just sort of like wise asses his way through the whole thing. Since My favorite story from that. Hospital. Yeah. <laughs> he figured out at a certain point making that movie that there was nothing he could do to upstage Dustin Hoffman mm. because Dustin Hoffman is like every scene he's in drag that, you know, sort of like, you know, he's by the virtue of the role is going to like all eyes are on him. So there's one scene where for no reason, Bill Murray's just eating lemon slices. Because uh, he's like, any other movie would be this, like, why is he doing that? And like, in, in this movie, it doesn't matter. I can get away with it. <laughs> All right. Tee, okay. Uh, tee us up for the next one. So next, uh, we are going to uh, skip ahead uh, quite a few years. One, two, three. Oh, right. Uh, let's go to Ed Wood. Um oh. Uh, which uh, he is uh, is uh, possibly my favorite Tim Burton movie. Yeah. Um, stars Johnny Depp as uh, in the title role of uh, Ed Wood, who is um, a um, the transvestite director of really bad low budget um, mm-hmm. uh, horror sci fi films. Yep. Uh, and it's uh, as you often get with uh, the Tim Burton movies. It's sort of like a collection of like lovable misfits who find each other. Yep. Um, the bill plays uh, bunny Breckenridge, um, who is a socialite who uh, is uh, saving up for a sex change operation. Got it. And actually, so like bill agreed to do it because he liked the people, but didn't read the script uh, until after he'd agreed. And then he sort of said, Oh, the like, you know, the uh, character is written really Nelly. And he's like, I don't want to play it as a stereotype. How do I, you know, sort of like uh, find a way to make sure. this guy like human instead of, um, so we are going to watch the scene uh, where, you know, like Edward is scrounging around for just like any sum of money. So he gets to make a movie and he discovers that there's a church that will uh, give them some money. But every, he and all the people like in the cast have to be baptized <laughs> and join the church. <laughs> okay. We reach now in the service a joyous point because we are going to bear witness to the baptism of our new members. Why couldn't we do this in the church? Because Brother Tor couldn't fit in the sacred tub. Welcome to the fold, brother. This is a baptism in a swimming pool. <laughs> do you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So that's Johnny Depp getting baptized. Bill's up next. Oh, Bill. Welcome to the fold, brother. Well, dipping his suede shoes into the pool. Do you reject Satan and all his evils? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. He's flailing about. Yes. In like three feet of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you do it? How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? It's not a monster movie. It's a supernatural thriller. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. So what what year was that? 1994. That was right. I I remember mid-90s was what I was thinking. Um, Um, uh, Which was in many ways like... Bill's like trying to figure out who he is at this point. Like, you know, he makes a bunch of uh, like 
the comedies have kind of run out of steam. Like he's doing things like co-starring with an elephant in like larger than life. Um, and he has not yet, uh, like had the second act of his career where he's made like sort of like Rushmore and lost in translation. Yep. Uh, and, uh, but he's still like, clearly like looking for stuff to do where it's interesting. And like he found something in that role. Uh, and, um, you know, he sort of like, she, uh, got his entire body waxed and he's like, he got powdered. So you can see he's got that like weird, like glow in the black yeah. and white screen. Um, and he's got this presence as he's doing it. There's something like strangely like dignified, uh, but, uh, a, a character who, is grabbing, like trying to bear hug dignity and sometimes it slips away from him. It's almost like he's playing around with like some method acting, you Mm -hmm. know, immersion into the character. Yes. uh, Uh. Techniques there as well. Um, Wow. That was, that was a, you know, it it was, it it was a a really cool, you know, to see him in black and white, to see him sort of powdered up in that Mm -hmm. way. Um, but still, like the Bill Murray sort of glimmer twinkle coming out, when yeah. he was like flailing about and pretending like he was drowning. <laughs> it was like it, it really felt like there is some connective tissue between his older roles and his and the and where we know now where he ended up, right? Um, but it does feel like he's having some growing pains a little bit in his, um, it, you know. It, choices of roles in movies. Right. I mean, you can see though, like I just love the uh, the way he delivers the line "shore." Yeah, you know, it's such a like. That kills me. Like, it's such a funny thing, but it's one word. Classic. It's just like, like a, you know, you just sort of, uh, you know, like you're with him every step of it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Um, all right. So it seems like we're going in, in a sort of a chronological order here. Is we that... are, actually. Okay, I figured cool. it was like a nice way to like walk through his That's career. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So uh, what do we want to Let's see. Uh, see one, next. Two, three. Let's. Ah. <laughs> uh, this one is... Uh, uh, fun and a little bit surprising. Um, the, he was in Hamlet. <laughs> I saw that on the list, and I was yeah. really surprised to see that. Yeah, he uh, was in Ethan Hawke's Hamlet, mm-hmm. um, uh, which was a modern dress version. Um, he plays Polonius, mm-hmm. um, and well, I mean, you'll see the scene, but he's really good in it. Like yeah. it's as far as I know, the only Shakespeare he's ever done, um, and. You know, sort of like Polonius. Uh, I don't know how well you remember the play, but he's, I don't remember it that well. Um, he is uh, the uh, father of Ophelia, yes. and I think it must be Laertes is her brother. Uh, yes. Um, and uh, and he's kind of a windbag. Uh, yeah. That you know, like he uh, gives uh, like lots of advice, uh, which has become cliches because of his scene uh, yeah. in this uh, play. Um, so uh, let's watch it, and then let's we can, watch it. Yeah. It's been way too long since I've seen Hamlet, or even read Hamlet, let's say. Give thy thoughts no tongue, nor any unproportioned thought his act. Be thou familiar, but by no means vulgar. Those friends thou hast, and their adoption tried, grapple them to thy soul with hoops of steel. But do not dull thy palm with entertainment of each new hatched, unfledged comrade. Beware of entrance to a quarrel. For being in it, bear to be opposed, and beware of thee. Give every man thine ear, refuse thy voice. Take each man's censure, but reserve thy judgment. Costly thy habit as thy purse can buy, but not expressed in fancy. Rich, not gaudy, for the apparel oft proclaims the man. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Yeah, you know, this just... Offloses both itself and friends. For me, when I see him tackle a scene like that, the first thing I think of is, it's courageous right like he's right. not afraid to try new things yes and that is you know unlike anything else he's ever done right. to actually try his hand at hamlet yeah how do you feel about about that scene and, and his i mean take on it i feel like you know so like most of the cast is pretty good in this movie yeah. you know sort of like sam shepherd's probably the best ethan hawk is quite good yeah. you know some of them uh, i remember it's sort of like they're a little unsteady on their feet but like Bill comes in and he's simultaneously 
being Bill, like he's got that affect of, uh, you know, sort of like, and he's also really making it work. Like he sort of, he swings the language. Yeah. He's got a pretty good command of the language. Right. You know, he's sort of like a, you know, and uh, he takes these things that have like become cliches, like neither a borrower nor a lender be. To that be true. Right. And, uh, but like it, it, he makes it like work. as just like, this is like a father seeing his like son off to college. uh, Basically. You know, I think part of it is that, I've we've come to see Bill as a sort of a casual character. Mm-hmm. There's something casual about him. Yeah. And when you can make Shakespeare conversational, it that's for my from for me, that's when it really works. Yes. And yeah. and so there's something about the sort of casual approach to life mm-hmm. and acting that Bill <laughs> seems to have yeah. that just makes it work for the Shakespearean language. Right. That's absolutely true. That like it's not over labored. Uh, right. that you know, sort of like uh, it should feel like a conversation. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, there's times where it needs to be heightened, but a scene like that, uh, you know, sort of, it doesn't need to be, I'm acting Shakespeare. Right, you exactly. Want- <laughs> my, uh, my Chapel Hill Shakespeare teacher, Reed Barber would be mortified when I uh, asked this question, but is Polonius in many other scenes in, in, in Hamlet? Um, uh, the, um, he is a supporting character. Um, I believe uh, he is the, advisor to King Claudius mm-hmm. um, and he's got a good uh, death scene where um, he's eavesdropping on Hamlet and uh, Hamlet and I don't remember I actually don't remember how they execute in the movie but in uh, the play he gets stabbed from like behind a curtain yeah mm-hmm. I wonder how they modernize the deaths yes. uh, the, the murders yeah. in, in this one so uh, well at any rate great choice very unexpected yeah. nice job Gavin it is um, funny uh, because I sort of like, oh, it's a, like a modern production of uh, Hamlet. But by the time you see it, it's 2000. Right. And like he's in like a blockbuster video. I'm like, well, that's not around anymore. <laughs> he gets on a payphone. That's not around anymore. <laughs> it's apparently a period piece. It's a period piece uh, now. In, yeah, it really yeah, is a period piece. Um, cool. What, uh, what do we have on deck? All right. So uh, coming up now... Uh, Ah, okay. Um, so um, the the two uh, big movies that you know, sort of, I mentioned uh, that sort of like where he turns the corner um, are on the one hand, Lost in Translation, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, he's uh, playing you know, sort of like the American movie star filming a commercial in yep. uh, Japan, um, and then Rushmore, yep. uh, where uh, which is the uh, first movie he did with Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, who he went on to do. I think they're up to like nine oh, yeah, movies they together are now. Fast, fast collaborators. Yes, uh, he has been in every single. Uh, so he's in every single Wes Anderson movie except for the first one, where Wes wanted him to have the part that James Caan played in Bottle Rocket, um, but he couldn't track him down in time. And so he got him to be in Rushmore because, like, you know, he had this other movie, and like he convinced at that point Bill still had agents, and they kept sending him like videotapes of Bottle Rocket. He said, "I've got them lying around the house, the way some people have Pottery Barn catalogs," uh, right. and uh, he plays. This um, industrialist, uh, Herman Bloom, I believe his name is, uh, who um, uh, gives a uh, speech at this uh, private school that makes a big impression on the uh, Jason Schwartzman character. And they become uh, first friends and then they become romantic rivals for the same uh, first grade teacher. Um, and this is a scene we're going to see. Um, the, there's actually no dialogue in it, so uh, we're going to have to narrate this. Yep. Um, but it's this wonderful expression of anomie. It's uh, um, he's at the uh, Bill Murray's character um, is at the birthday party for his uh, twin sons, who are these like lunkhead, muscle bound wrestlers <laughs> who he just clearly can't stand. Right. Uh, and so this is him like at a party in his own backyard by the swimming pool. Okay, mm-hmm. I love this movie. Yeah, cigarette in uh, in the mouth. Yep, Kinks on the soundtrack, mustache, and he's got he's, he's sitting at the table tossing. Golf balls, Golf into, balls the pool. into the pool. <laughs> Great soundtrack. Yeah. Oh. And, and his wife is looking at him, but like seems to be talking up the pool boy. Even that pool is like has been cleaned in yes. months, <laughs> if not years. Oh yeah, I, I never noticed this the before, but the candles are still burning on the birthday cake. Nobody's oh, blowing right? them out. Yeah. Right. He's so he's got, got up on butt, the high dive. He's got the Budweiser uh, swings. Yeah, the you know, big slo- uh, logo on his ass. He uh, goes up on the high board with like a drink and a cigarette in his mouth. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And with the cigarette still, 
Cannonball into the pool. Then, then we see him underwater. It's very. This scene is very on loan from the graduate right here. Yeah, the graduate and yeah. maybe Nirvana. <laughs> yes. And he's just hanging out under the water, not wanting to let like, go back up. You know, there is something about. First of all, I love Rushmore. Yes, me too. It, it, I think the movie is brilliant. The direction is brilliant. His performance is brilliant, as is Jason's. There's a melancholy to that movie. Absolutely. And, and it's uh, easy to overlook because there's so much of like, you know, like Jason Schwartzman's putting on plays and he's right. in wacky clubs, but the, yeah. but the core of it. That is, scene ugh. seems to capture that, that sense of melancholy. And I wonder if, I feel like that might've been a way in for, for Bill Murray into, mm-hmm. into the sort of new chapter of films that he chose, not to say that they're all melancholy, but. Lost in Translation is a very melancholy yes. movie as well. Um, so there's something in that feeling that is a good fit for him in this new era of his work. And I think that's because it really does speak to him personally that, you know, sort of he's, you know, sort of gone through some tough stuff in his life. You know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a movie star, so, but like it, he's, uh, you know, sort of he's gotten divorced you know, his sort of like his mother has died. He's had like sort of like a decade of uh, like not really knowing what he's doing with his like life and his career. And, you know, I don't think he was miserable, but he felt, I think, disconnected and yeah. kind of melancholy. Yeah. And so like, you know, he can really sort of he connects to this in a meaningful way. When you spoke to him, did you pick up on that that side of Bill Murray, or does he bring something else to a conversation like that? So, uh, I mean, uh, he wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say he was like melancholy uh, uh, when I spoke with him, but he was um, uh, definitely, the way I think of uh, like sort of like Bill in person, I often say is that like, he's very generous of spirit, but on his own terms mm-hmm. um, that, you know, he's capable, like, you know, he knows he has this superpower of like uh, coming in and like uh, animating people's lives, but he doesn't want to do it. Like, you know, he's not your monkey uh, yeah. that, you yeah. know, sort of like, a, you know, if he sees that he has the opportunity to sort of like wake himself up uh, and somebody else at the same time, that's glorious. But, you know, sort of like, don't come and like tug on his sleeve and say, Hey, like do the show. Yeah. And so, uh, it felt a little bit like um, he wasn't hostile about it, but I did feel like I was asking a magician to reveal his tricks. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, you know, he was going to play. He was uh, like, he, uh, you know, sort of was going to talk about a certain extent, but he's not going to sort of tell you everything that's going on. Uh, sure. So. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you chose that that yeah. scene because I'm a huge fan of that movie. I want to go back and watch the whole thing. Now. I, I got to tell you. So as I'm working my, you know, I watched the movies pretty much in chronological order. Um, and, uh, there were points, uh, where just like, uh, you know, sort of like, the uh, I would see something like really dreadful, like uh, the man who knew too much. Was that? Or, no, or I like the man who knew too much. Uh, the too man who knew too little. Uh, too right. Little. Um, uh, that is actually an underrated uh, one. It's gotcha. uh, sort of it's a well executed farce where everyone thinks he's a secret agent. Uh-huh. Um, Inside the mind of Charles Swan the Third. It's written and directed by Roman Coppola. Never even heard of it. It's uh, stars Charlie Sheen doing his Charlie Sheen thing, and it's just kind of it's just a mess. So I would see something like that, and I said, I uh, just at certain points, like I know I've got more Wes Anderson movies, you know, like because they're pretty much you know some are better than others, but they're mostly great, and Bill is so just solid. about always great in them. So, oh, that's so great. yeah, it's been really, and Bill is willing. So the uh, you know he does this. He doesn't always have the lead after this. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know sort of like he showed up uh, not reading his part for the Royal Tenenbaums and gets to the set. He's like, oh, I'm the eighth biggest guy in this movie. Yeah, or he's even uh, in. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, um, yes. yes. Um, so it's um, the three brothers. Uh, you've got Adrian Brody. You've uh, got uh, Owen Wilson. Um, and they're traveling through India, sort of trying to like figure out who they are. Bill shows up in like the first 90 seconds of the movie is like an American businessman running for a train. And he misses the train. The the main characters get on it, and like they go off, and you know, like they leave him behind, and you never see him again. That's it. He yeah, missed the train. Uh, yeah, he missed the train. He's not, not in movie. this movie, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think we have like one or two more scenes. Is yeah, that, yeah, yes, right? we do. Let's uh, 
Ah, okay. Um, so uh, next, um, have you ever seen Coffee and Cigarettes? I have seen this scene before. Uh, okay. Yes, I'm uh, so excited to see it again. Then. Yeah, so Coffee and Cigarettes um, is uh, another person he's often collaborated with is uh, Jim Jarmusch. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this was, I'm pretty sure, the first time. Um, and this is an anthology film um, that uh, Jarmusch uh, made uh, over the years. Um, um, and uh, it's all scenes uh, where um, the characters are uh, like smoking and having coffee and yeah. uh, and some of them are there's a great one um the, that involves uh, Iggy Pop and uh, Tom Waits mm-hmm. uh, um the, there's a wonderful one that where Kate Blanchett plays uh, both roles uh, by virtue of a uh, split screen and there's this one which uh, has uh, the Giza and the Rizza from the, the Wu-Tang oh, Clan Wu-Tang Clan that's right and uh, the Bill Murray so uh, we're picking it up a couple of minutes into the scene um and uh, they are uh, uh, the Wu Tang uh, members are hanging out in a late at night in a coffee shop. This is classic. Damn, that don't sound too good, Bill Murray. <laughs> They're calling him first and last name. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Nicotine, bird. Nicotine interferes with the central nervous system, the respiratory system. I mean, very small doses to cause paralysis. <laughs> really? Yeah, really, man. I mean, this 50 milligrams alone has been proven to be fatal in a few minutes, man. How much is in one cigarette? Three milligrams. And did you know they also use nicotine for an insecticide to kill bugs? I mean, it's good if it kills bugs, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, are you a bug, Bill, baby? Jesus, what you sound like my doctor. He is a doctor. Actually, he specializes in alternative medicine that is alternative to this planet. Well, do me a favor and, and don't tell me when he's on here, okay? Nah. You can trust us, Bill Murray. So, <laughs> Bill Murray, you hiding out or something? Yeah, I'm sorry. Something like that. I mean, now I'm thinking it may be delirium. Serious <laughs> delirium. Serious. <laughs> Well, if you want a low, I got something to help with this. Take this. It's getting my bag. Yeah. You know, do I know it's in the bag? Yeah. Rock that, man. Stay on the low. There's nice stuff. You don't have to do this. This is great. Bag of items for you. Bro. I also love that he's items. wearing like the peeper hat. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Like you might get a Waffle House or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> describe that scene. I mean, it's not quite, it's not surreal. It's, it's sort of, um, what's the word? It's escaping me, but it's just like, um, I don't know. It, it definitely stands out for me. Right. So, um, the way I think of the scene, this was, so like the stuff I was talking about, you know, sort of like Bill Murray, like shows up at your kickball game or like, you know, ends up doing karaoke with you. People didn't know about that uh, then. So, like, it really kind of presages it. Like, in some ways, it's, like, sort of myth-building of, like, Bill Murray could be anywhere. He could be your waiter at 3 a.m. when you're not expecting it. And I love – you're right. It's not quite surreal, but it's this sense of, like, it's random and it's unexpected. And, uh, you know, just sort of, like, it gives you a sense that, like – life is both like chaotic and delightful. Yeah. Uh, so it really does capture a lot of just who he is as a person. Too, yeah. Right? Because he's willing to do a scene like that. He shows up, he is doing his Bill Murray thing. Right. Mm. He's interacting with the Wu-Tang clan. Yes. Um, and he's drinking coffee out of a, 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 a <laughs> sideways a, out of like, you know, sort of like the restaurant coffee pop graph. There's also these little moments that you see pop up. Like for example, the way he was dangling that cigarette out of his mouth is yeah. identical to the way it dangled out of his mouth at one point in Ghostbusters. And I can't okay. say he smoked the cigarette the exact same way. Yes. So these little quirks, these little idiosyncrasies of, of uh, 
Bill Murray. Yes. I'm going to always use his first and last name. From right. I, I love that. They're like that the whole time they just call him Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's so left? We got one more. Um, uh, so this is uh, Zombieland. Uh, oh, have Zombie you ever seen Zombieland? I've not seen Zombieland. Ah, all right. So it was. Um, the, it's the second best zombie comedy ever made. Um, mm-hmm. The first is Shaun of the Dead, of course. Got it. Uh, that I have seen. All right. Yep. Um, and uh, you've got um, Emma Stone and Woody Harrelson um, and uh, Jesse Eisenberg and. Uh, Abigail Breslin, um, as sort of like, um, so far as they know, they are the only four humans left, um, you know, like after the zombie apocalypse, um, and they're making their way west across the United States, and uh, they decide, they get to Hollywood, and they decide they are going to uh, go to Bill Murray's mansion, uh, and, you know, sort of like, hey, let's just sort of like, it'll be a good place to kick back, Uh, you know, sort of like, let's really like sort of enjoy the Hollywood life, you know, if you could be in anyone's house in LA you would want it to be Bill Murray's house so that's the setup for uh, where we uh, love get it. to here love it so they've gotten to the house they've made themselves at home and then you see a zombie type walking through the halls Ray Harrelson's dancing to the Ghostbusters, the Ghostbusters theme of and the Stones playing golf inside. <laughs> and zombie Bill Murray shows up. Bill Murray, you're a zombie? Ow! Ow! You're right on fire! <laughs> Emma Stone whacks him with a golf club. You're talking. You're okay. The hell I am! <laughs> I didn't know that it was, that it was you, you. Are you? What's with the, the get up? Oh, I do it to blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. A buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. Suits my lifestyle. You know, I like to get out and do stuff. Just play nine holes with Riviera. Just walk down. <laughs> God damn it, Bill! Fucking Murray! <laughs> I had to get that out. I don't mean to gush. This is so surreal. I mean, you probably get this all the time. I will Maybe not lately, but I'm I'm <laughs> such a huge fan of yours. I mean, I swear, you know, I've seen every one of your movies a million times, and I I even love your dramatic roles. <laughs> Just everything. <laughs> Six people left in the world. One of them is Bill Murray. I know that's not your middle name. But I've been watching this since I was like since I could masturbate. I mean, not that they're connected. to become a champion. So it's it's actually a, a really good movie in general, but that's the high point, you know. Sort of like, I mean, what a gift! All of a sudden, Bill Murray is in the movie for five minutes. He's kind minutes. of become like the master of the cameo too, yes. to a certain extent, right? Like he just pops up, whether it's in a movie or in life. He is he's like that's kind of him. He's a he's a cameo guy. So that one, it's actually great. They, you know, they had written the scene not specifically for Bill. Like it was just sort of like you you can do something like that with almost any celebrity. And they like ask all these different people, you know, sort of like Patrick Swayze and like a Danny DeVito, I think Sylvester Stallone, and just they keep getting turned down. And it gets to the point they're going to have to cut the scene. And just like as a Hail Mary, uh, they say, well, what if we got Bill Murray? Uh, <laughs> and Woody had actually been in Kingpin with him. Yes. Um, and, uh, but he didn't have his number. Woody calls the 1-800 number and says like, hey, Bill, you know, like we've got this thing. And they fax him the pages at like a Kinko's in New York City. And Bill Reed's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. No uh, kidding. Yeah. Wow. I think that was a perfect scene to end on. Because, you know, like Woody like expresses how we all feel. Yeah. You know, sort of like it's that it's 
Bill fucking Murray. Oh, you know, oh, like he uh, was over the moon excited. Yeah. And he said, like, uh, people were saying, oh, are you kind of making fun of the way, like, fans act around you? He's like, no, I feel that way around <laughs> Bill Murray. <laughs> um, so we've seen these eight scenes, yes. these, these, these curated eight curated <laughs> scenes from his filmography. What do you think just even this slice of his work says about, well, the Tao of Bill Murray? And So and- I think Bill, like tries to approach his career the same way he tries to approach his life that, you know, he wants it to be kind of random and kind of delightful that, uh, you know, sort of, he never buys round trip tickets, uh, on planes. He just sort of goes somewhere and when he's ready to leave, he'll buy another ticket and really? he'll go then. And like, so like he agrees to show up in movies cause he thinks like he'll have a good time doing it. Yeah. And so you can see like the joy that he, gets out of being in something like coffee and cigarettes or um, the zombie land is the joy that he gets, you know, sort of like the, you know, sort of like starting a snowball fight uh, yeah. that, you know, like, and so, you know, even if you never meet Bill Murray yourself, you know, like, and you know, you could just go down to Charleston and like go to river dogs games. Eventually you'll see them. It's not yeah. impossible to do, but if it never happens, you can actually, get the same like joy and spirit out of watching like the, these movies. Well, it's awesome. I'm really glad that you took the time to sort of bring us on this little journey today. I think I learned something not just about Bill Murray and his and his uh, career and his life, but a little bit about what maybe I could bring into my own life to sort of spice it up a little exactly. bit, make it a little more fun, a little more random. Yes, and you know, sort of like spark joy like as you go through the world. Well, this has been I think one of my favorite things I've ever done since launching the biscuit, right? Like sitting down with someone who has actually interviewed Bill Murray, wrote a book about Bill Murray, and you got to choose, take us on a journey of eight of your favorite Bill Murray scenes. I've had so much fun, Matt. Thank you for like uh, inviting me to do this. And not and and not to mention, now we know how to make a better margarita, yes. right? A splash of orange juice. Thank you, Bill Murray. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Gavin. Matt. Keep up the great work, man. You too, dude. <laughs> Thanks again to Gavin Edwards for speaking with us. The Dow of Bill Murray is now available at retailers everywhere. And of course, thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell your friends. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings.